Well, hey, Bridge fam, my name is Marshall Peterson, and I'm a pastor here at the Bridge, and I just want to welcome you to my home. You might hear the occasional dog bark or kid cry, but we're going to get through it. We have just ended a series called We Need a Hero, talking about the end of the world and what does the Bible have to say about it. So if you missed any of those, be sure to go check those out. But I'm excited because we are starting a brand new series today called The Picture Imperfect Family. We're going to have a lot of fun, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, end of the world, my family. Really don't see a difference, but we're going to get there. I'm going to show you how, okay? Now, we all have families, okay? Some of us have big families. Some of us have small families. Some of us have families that we're really close to. Some of us don't talk to our families at all, maybe on Thanksgiving or Christmas. Uh, What I love about the bridge is that we have a diverse look at what families look like because we have families with uh, young children. We have families that just sent their youngest child off to college, single tier. Um... We have some families who are on their second or third marriage. We have uh, Brady Bunch families where they have a bunch of kids and then they get married and all live together under one roof. And then we have some families who uh, just just look different. You know, they're they're in their homes or they're living in different homes. But we are all together. And that's what I love about the bridge is that we have such a diverse group of people. Now, when it comes to family, some of you may not believe what I'm about to tell you. Okay, but y'all look at this statement right here. This is what I want to say this whole series is going to set us up for. That healthy relationships are possible in your family. And I know what you might be thinking. Some of you are like, yeah, we're pretty good. And then some of you are thinking like, you don't know my family. But trust me, we get there. Now, this is how God intended it, that we would have healthy relationships within our family. But I think sometimes we get a little skewed version of what the family should look like because of society, culture, social media, Hollywood. Because I think where we're living now, in these strange times that we're living, okay, we have these obsessions or just viewpoints on what we think the family should look like. And I kind of break it down into three things that our culture is obsessed with, okay? The first is that picture perfect. We think we need a picture perfect life. We think we need a picture perfect family. We love instant gratification. We want it right here, right now. And then we love a life of ease. We want it to be easy. Now let's get back, let's go through these because it's very important. We live in a picture perfect life. Okay, and it starts at the top. We look at the celebrities for the dream. Okay, and I want to show you a picture of a few different celebrities that I have admired. Now this first one, I know what you're thinking. Brad and Jennifer, that is so 1998. Shut your face. Jennifer is a friend of mine. I just call her Rachel Green, all right? But, you know, they were this beautiful couple that we love. This next one here, until this summer, Will and Jada. I mean, they were a power couple. We love them. We love the interviews. We watch, watch, see what their family's doing. And then the third one, Ryan Reynolds, Blake Lively. They're pretty. He's hilarious because of Deadpool. And I love how he wishes her happy birthday by pic- posting the ugliest pictures of her on Instagram. It's hilarious. You should go check it out. But that's the dream, isn't it? Now, we can't obviously obtain these. We're like, okay, I'm not going to get rich and famous overnight. So what do we revert to of finding our picture-perfect family is we go to social media. Whatever app you're on, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, whatever is out there, we start to look at everybody's highlight reels. We start to see what they're posting. And then the comparison game starts. Look where they're at on vacation. Look where they're spending their anniversary. Why can't we do that? How come they're always smiling in pictures? My kids never smile in pictures. But let me, let me pump the brakes on that one. We all know how pictures work. If you're a parent and you have children and you do Christmas cards, you know the deal with the pictures, all right? Now, this is a Christmas picture. 
that we did a few years ago. Look at that. We're all smiling. We're happy. We're enjoying each other. False. In between the picture shots is where the real action is. We are threatening our kids to smile. We are asking them, what, what are you doing? Why does your face look like that? You know, and then they're kind of looking at us like, are, are you serious right now? We're dead serious, okay? Smile right. Do, do it right. And, and then, you know, we end up with a finished product and we're like, Merry Christmas, because we all want that right, that perfect picture. We want that perfect picture so we can post to Instagram or Facebook to say, look, we're normal. We have it all together. Everything is peachy in our lives. It's fine. But that's not always depicts an accurate description of what our family is, okay? Second one was instant gratification. We like stuff right here, right now. Why do you think Amazon Prime is so important in America right now? They can get it here quick. I've even seen some advertisements where if you order it in the morning, you get it that afternoon. What? What happened to three to five days shipping days, okay? You can get it right here. We love Netflix, streaming services. We don't wanna have to wait till next Tuesday night to watch the next episode. No, we are binging four seasons in a row, and then when we get done with that, what's the next show? Netflix is out, I can go to Amazon Prime, Disney Plus. We want it now, all right? now. We love a life that's easy, don't we? And I love how America has shifted in this area of Uber Eats, DoorDash. We don't have to cook. We don't even have to get off the couch and we can have a hot and ready meal in about 15 to 20 minutes. It's an incredible thing. And oh, by the by, whoever thought of the idea of click list should be the next president in November. You don't have to go in the grocery store with your family and they'll bring it out. Heck yeah, you can load my groceries in the back of my car. Absolutely. Now, I'm not saying anything is wrong with these. I, I love having a happy picture of my family. I love Netflix as much as anybody, and you absolutely better believe I'm never going to the grocery store again, all right? But I think what happens is where we get in trouble is when we put these expectations on our family because our family can't meet those expectations. It's not practical because our family is not picture perfect, it's messy, it's not instant, it takes time, and it's definitely not easy. It is difficult work to make the family function correctly. But we don't always treat it like that, do we? Give you an example. Remember all my married people who are watching or listening. Remember all the way back to when you were dating. Remember how fun and fresh it was? It was just exciting. You go and pick them up. You, you, know, you actually brush your teeth and put on deodorant and a little cologne and you go pick them up and you go to dinner and you just can't stop looking at each other. Just keep touching each other. And you might even sit on the same side of the booth. You know, that's always, it's, it's hot guys, it's August. I don't know why we would do that. Let's spread out, it's social distancing. But you're just obsessed with each other. And then maybe you go to a movie or you go you know, do some kind of fun event and then you, then you take them home and give them a little smoochy smooch and then you drop them off. You're done. You get to leave. You go away. Marriage happens. There is no drop off. Guys, we don't get to drop her off. She's with us. If she makes us mad, she does something that frustrates us, or she says something we don't understand, which happens, we can't drop her off. We are stuck. We are here. Not stuck's a bad word for the marriage, okay? We get to be blessed in the marriage. But it's messy. We are working in the mess. We are working with time and we are working difficult situations. Ladies, 
You can't escape us, okay? We're not dropping you off. We're not dropping you off and, and going away for a few days. Like, you're stuck with us. And listen, I feel for you because I'm going to be honest with you. Guys, we're gross, okay? We smell weird. Uh, gases just seem to freely flow. You always know when we've gone to the bathroom. And we don't always understand what you're trying to tell us. So it gets frustrating. But you have to work in the mess. You have to take your time. And it takes difficult work. To make that happen and then on top of that you throw kids in the mix you can't return kids okay it doesn't matter if they appear broken or on repeat they're yours you get to work in the mess it takes time and it's difficult work now listen this series we're really going to try to give you some healthy applications and expectations that you can give for yourself for your spouse for your kids for your parents and if you're single here and you're kind of thinking okay i get to take church off for the next three weeks these principles absolutely apply to you because no matter who you are or what kind of relationship you have, if it's somebody who's close to you, it could be a boss, it could be a coworker, a neighbor, a friend, these principles absolutely apply to you. And maybe you've been divorced for a while or you're recently divorced. You need to know that this series is not going to make you feel ashamed or guilty. What we're trying to do is bring grace and hope. So you need to know that we see you and we hear you and we're here. And maybe throughout this series, you'll hear something that just seems impossible to overcome. Or maybe it brings up old hurts. Or maybe it's something that is just difficult to process. We have an incredible prayer team that is ready to listen and pray with you. So please, just, just email us, call us. We're happy to help you walk through whatever relationship you're in. Because relationships, relationships are messy, especially the ones in the family. So how? How do we get through this? How do we meet up that original statement of healthy relationships are possible within the family? How do we do that? Well, if only there was some kind of guide or model that we could look at. If there was like this handbook, okay? We're a church. We talk about the Bible quite a bit. Let's go to the Bible to see what kind of families we can find in there. And let's start at the very beginning, okay? Adam and Eve. All right, they are made perfectly. Well, next thing you know, they're blaming everybody but themselves for their mistakes. They have a couple kids, Cain and Abel. Cain ends up killing Abel. Maybe not the best model to follow. Let's keep going. What about Abraham? Father Abraham. He started the Jewish nation. Surely his family was something that we can look after. Well, I'll tell you, he pimped out his wife a couple times so that he wouldn't die. He took his son up on a mountain to sacrifice him because God told him to and then stopped him at the last second. I mean, can you imagine that awkward conversation when they got home to mom? What'd y'all do today? Well, there was a knife and... Okay, let's keep going. What about King David? David, a man after God's own heart. Well, he uh, committed adultery with the guy's wife, uh, ended up killing that guy, and then when his kids got older, they tried to overthrow his kingdom and kill him. So... Not really the best model. What about Solomon, one of David's kids, considered the wisest king ever to live? Married a thousand women. Next. All right. What about Jesus? Jesus. Jesus was perfect. His family had to have been perfect, right? Jesus was perfect. His family, not so much. His parents left him in a big city for three days. I don't know, like on day two, were they like, where's Jesus? Nope, they just went on to day three. And even if you look at Jesus' family tree, full of drunks, adulterers, liars, prostitutes, not the perfect family. But here's a great way you can look at it. The Bible is not about pretend perfect families. The Bible is about real people, real broken, messy people. 
And if you have problems in your marriage with your kids, that just means that we are desperate for a Savior. And that's what the Bible is all about. Our need for a Savior. And how, I think we could all agree with that. That we are all broken, we all have our, our weaknesses and our missteps, and that we need a Savior. So the question is this, why do we keep pretending? Why do we keep pretending that everything is okay? Keep posting those pictures like nothing is wrong. It's almost like we're programmed to do it. I mean, think about how we greet each other. You say hello to somebody, hey, how you doing? I'm good. Okay, okay, well cool, well how's your marriage? It's fine. How are, you, how are your kids? Oh, they're growing up. I mean, it's almost like program that we just say everything's fine. We don't, we don't want to get in the mess. We're just pretending when really we're hurting and dying on the inside. And that's just kind of normal. Look, I do it as well. But where it gets damaging, where pretending gets damaging is when it starts on the outside of our family, but then it creeps up on the inside of our family. Where we're sitting there and we get home from work and our spouse asks us, how was your day? It was fine. When in fact, you probably had one of the worst days you've ever had. Or they ask you, hey, are you okay? It looks like something's bothering you. I'm good. I'm fine. When in fact, you're, still, you're, you're struggling with loneliness, you're frustrated, maybe you're angry, you're dealing with depression, but you just don't say anything because you don't want to bring it up. You don't want to deal with the mess. You don't want, and, and you might even be afraid of how they're going to respond. You might be ashamed to, to confess what you're feeling. And what happens is over time, it just builds up and builds up and builds up until one day it boils over. And next thing you know, you're dealing with an affair. You're dealing with an addiction. You're dealing with rebellious kids who have run away or just completely shut you off. And in their adult life, they don't ever call or come home. All because we believed the lie that our family had to be picture perfect. When the reality was, family is picture imperfect. So, how do we get through this? How do we deal with this? Because we're all can probably admit on some degree or another that we pretend. How does Jesus deal with people who live pretending lives? Look what he says in Matthew chapter 23, starting in verse 25. He says this. He says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites! For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites. He is letting them have it. For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones, Ugh. and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus, he's coming at these guys. But if we're completely honest, that's how we live. We are so focused on how our outward looks, but on the inside, it's not good. And we're pretending. And Jesus is pretty harsh here. You know why? Because he will not work with the pretend you. He will only work with the real you. Which means Jesus wants our mess. He's the God of the universe. He created everything. He knows our thoughts. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our struggles. Yet He still willingly crawled on that cross to die for us because of that. Remember we mentioned King David and kind of his mishaps. So he, 
did have an uh, adulterous affair with this guy's wife and he tried to hide it and cover it up ha by having this guy killed and thought was everything fine. He ultimately got busted and he wrote a psalm. And in this psalm, right after this whole ordeal, this is what he says. This is Psalm 51 and 17. He, he's talking to God. He says, The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. How comforting is that? That God doesn't want us a picture-perfect child. He wants a child that's repentant, that's going to turn from their sinful way and turn towards Him. He wants us to turn towards Him. He wants us to bring us or bring Him our mess because that's where He can help us find freedom. But we're always a little reluctant to do that because we know us. We know who we really are. We know what goes on in our minds. We know what we secretly did. A lot of times when we bring that to light, we don't know how somebody's going to respond especially God. So this summer, my family got a puppy, all right? And he's a cute little puppy. I love this puppy, but y'all, he's bad, okay? He's upstairs right now probably biting my daughter to draw blood, okay? I mean, he's chewing shoes, furniture. My kids legit have scars already. We've had him for like three months, and they already have scars because of his biting. He's bad. And so when I get on to him, you know, his name's Ross, and I'll, I'll raise my voice and, you know, be intimidating because that's what we do with dogs. You know, we feel like we can assert our power over them because everything else in the world isn't letting us. And so we tell him that, and he comes to me, and his ears are down. He didn't really have a tail. He has a little nub, and it's just kind of, you know, in between his legs a little bit, and he's, he's just avoiding eye contact because he doesn't know if I'm going to spank his bottom, rub his nose in whatever he just did, or shake him, right? I'm kidding. I don't do that. That's how I treat my kids, not my dog, okay? But I'm kidding all the way. But we can relate to that, can't we? When we come to somebody with a confession, especially God, and we bring to light our messiness, we don't really know how he's going to respond. Here's how we know how God will respond. Look at this. This is in Hebrews 4, 16. He says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his what? His mercy. And we will find grace to help us when we need it most. How can we approach God? Boldly. Another version says, with confidence. We don't have to be scared, avoiding eye contact with God. We can come with confidence to the throne of God. And you know what we get? We get mercy. We get grace. We get help where we need it. How true is that of our lives right now? How much help do we need in our messes right now? How much help do we need in our marriage, in our parenting, in our workplace, in our neighborhood? We need that help. And Micah even backs it up even more. Look what he says in Micah 7.18. He says, Who is a God like you? who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. Listen to this. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Did you know that about God? That he delights to show mercy? That he's not annoyed with you? You haven't sent him over the edge? He's not fed up? No. When we come to him with our mess, he delights. He loves giving us mercy. That is such an incredible truth about the character of God. We, we, we always can have freedom over our mess. So, I know you're asking, all right, this is all great personal stuff. How does this have to do with my family? 
Okay, what does this have to do with my family? How do I apply these truths to my family? To answer that original question, how do I have a great family? How can I have healthy relationships in my family? Well, the first step is big. The first step is we have to stop pretending. We have to stop pretending. And what that means though, when we stop pretending and we bring our messes to light, that means that our houses have to have a culture of mercy. That we have to expect when our spouse or our kids bring their messes that we can't just hold it over them. That we can't make them feel guilty and bad. We have to meet them with mercy and meet them with grace when they're willing to tell us how they're feeling or things that they've done. And I know this is difficult, but even though they hurt you, even though they damaged something, we can still meet that with mercy because that's how God meets us. And I don't know what your situation is. And I know you might be thinking, that's impossible for my story right now. And Marshall, you don't know my story. And you're absolutely right. And if you're hurting, I'm so sorry. But here's what I do know. That Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 that if God is for us, who could ever be against us? Who could ever be against us? What situation could keep us stuck? What, what decision that someone made to hurt us ever keep us from thriving again? God's promises are always bigger than our problems. So here's a question that we need to ask ourselves, okay? Because anytime we want to get better, anytime we want to improve our family, the first step that we have to do is stop pretending. The next thing we need to do is evaluate where we are. So I want you to ask yourself this question. Is your home a safe place to be messy? Is your home a safe place to be messy? Where is, is a conversation worth having? Is that argument worth having? Is that topic worth bringing up? Are you willing to give mercy or are you unwilling to give mercy are you demanding perfection in your home and when you answer those questions and you decide yes I'm ready to move forward here's a practical thing you can do this week this is what I want you to think about what is the one thing you can do to make your home a safe place to be messy what's one thing you can do one step one small thing that you can do to make sure your home is a safe place to be messy maybe it's simply telling your family I'm gonna meet your messes with mercy. You just come out. They don't have to wonder how they can approach you because they know based off what you just said, it's going to be met with mercy. Maybe it's having dinner once a week and just saying, having a check-in time. Hey, where did everybody struggle this week? Where was it difficult? Where, 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 how can we support each other? And husbands, brothers, sons, you go first. You set the model. You lead with honesty. You lead with vulnerability. And listen, I could rattle off a hundred different ways to do this, but I want you, I don't know your situation. What works for your family? Man, sit down and have a, a productive conversation about what's just one small step? What's one small step that we can take to make our house safe for mercy? And you will experience freedom in a way that you never thought possible. It might look different than how you're envisioning, but let me tell you, any type of freedom is always better than any kind of bondage. Freedom is always better than bondage. So, I know some of our messes have already happened. And some of our messes, they leave scars. They leave scars that hurt, that we might be ashamed to show other people. Maybe they're emotional scars, maybe they're spiritual scars, and, and, and they hurt. But here's another thing that I know about scars. Scars always have a story. Now, I want to show you a picture of a little boy and his little, and his little sister. His name, this is Bridger Walker and his little sister. And uh, last, uh, in July, a couple months, or a month ago, they were in a friend's backyard, and a dog started to run at his sister to attack her. And he stepped in the way. 
and the dog attacked his face instead of his little sister's. And the boy was so courageous. This is a picture of him with a scar. It, that He said, if somebody's going to die, I don't want it to be her. And he stepped in. Well, his aunt you know, started posting his story. And this scar now, it covers a whole side of his face. He will live with that for the rest of his life. There will always be something there. And, and he's six. Imagine having to live through your whole life with this massive scar on your face. That can be devastating. But what this scar has caused in Bridger's life is change. Because so many people now have reached out to Bridger, including a lot of the actors of the Avengers. Now Bridger has been invited to future movie sets. Captain America sent him an authentic Captain America shield. Um, wrestlers are giving him their championship belts and professional fighters. Brett Michaels from Poison called him and signed a guitar and sent it to him. 80s fans, where y'all at? Every rose has its thorn. My man Bridger has a sign, Brett Michaels. This scar, yes, while it, it is devastating and it was a tragic experience, now when anybody sees that scar or when his little sister looks at that scar, you know what comes to mind? Hero. Our scars can, can be ugly at times. But here's the great thing about our scars. That they're, they're a story. They're a story that Jesus can heal, that Jesus can restore, that Jesus can give us hope. In fact, look at this verse right here. This is the hope that we have for our scars. This is Revelation 21.4. I know y'all thought we were out of Revelation, but this is good. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Y'all, when we're in heaven, and when we place our trust in Jesus, you know the only person who's going to have scars is Jesus. He's going to have him in his hands. He's going to have him in his feet. He's going to have one on his side, which is a reminder that he stepped into your mess. No matter how messy it was, he stepped into that. And he was scarred so that we might have a relationship with him. Our scars aren't forever, y'all. They aren't forever. They are going to go away. And maybe the first step towards a safe place to be messy with your home is giving your mess to Jesus for the first time. Where you simply say, Jesus, I'm messy and I don't, I don't know how to clean, clean it up. I give you that mess. I trust in you for that mess. It will by far be the best thing you've ever done for your marriage, for your kids, and for your family. Or maybe it's giving Jesus your mess for the first time in a long time. You might have been following Jesus for a very long time, but you've kind of kept some messes hidden. You need to know that He's still here, that He still sees you. And he still says, give me your mess. Trust me with your mess. Because listen, the imperfect family has scars and it's messy. But the imperfect family can also be healed and restored by Jesus. Freedom is always better than bondage. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for taking our mess. Thank you so much for stepping into the, our mess by dying on the cross for us and for completely wiping away every tear God, I pray for the person who's really hurting, for the marriage that's hurting and struggling, for the parents, for the kids that are struggling with parents, God, that you would just be very real and tangible in their lives, that we would be bold enough to take one step to making our home a safe place to be messy. Because, God, we know that amongst the mess, you are greater, you are bigger. Jesus, thank you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.